I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited to get this unique episode rocking. We have a guest on today. His name is Tyler Webb, who I'm a really big fan of his content. He works really heavily in the sports business side, makes stories, kind of really sets the stage for whatever's going on, has done everything from a airless basketball to the cost of going to a game to expansion projects, like all of it, and everything sport business related. He owns his own marketing agency called Uncle Charlie and is starting to blow up on TikTok and YouTube, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. So I thought it would be great to have him on this episode, and also he's a Packers fan, grew up in Green Bay, right down the street from Lambeau, so I thought this was a great way to blend two worlds together, and I'm going to let him drive in the driver's seat, me hop in the passenger seat, and flip the script a little bit, and he's going to guide us in conversation, ask me some questions about my time in the NFL, some of my experience, my perspective, and everything in between. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's dive in. What's up, Tyler? How you doing, man? Hey, Kurt. Happy to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, man. It's been, uh, I've been watching your content everywhere on TikTok, YouTube, and uh, have learned a lot along, along the way. Saw one of your videos. I think it might be one of your pinned on TikTok has like 20 some million views about the basketball. Mm. That was like my yeah. first intro to your stuff. And it's just been rolling. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I think that that video is so funny. I, I wouldn't say that's even the one I'm most proud of, although it is, you're right. It does have the, the most amount of views, Yeah. but it's the one. So, you know, like we, we exist in this content space. And so we kind of understand what good content it is bad, and yeah. bad content is. And then there's that level, like our parents' generation where they don't have any understanding of what that looks like, <laughs> but they eat and it up. So, right. And so I'll, I'll have that video, you know, that does 26 million views on my own page. And I, I don't hear a peep from anybody. Not that I'm expecting it, but like, that's a lot of views. Doesn't doesn't, doesn't yeah. get a peep. That's and a then, whole. I, that's I don't know if I've ever done that. That's a lot of views. <laughs> but but then what happens is I get a DM from Sports Center and they want to feature the video, and it probably does four or five million views on their page, which is great, and it was super cool to be on Sports Center. And then my phone gets blown up with yeah. like, oh my, like this is the coolest <laughs> thing. I'm like, this video got six times the amount of views on my own page, and, and the stuff that really has, matters. Yeah, it takes Sports Center, you know, the seal of approval from Sports Center. But I mean, that's yeah. you know, I guess how that that's how it was growing up anyway. That you know, like you always wanted to be on Sports Center, so no I didn't think that was going to be my way on there. But it's uh, it's funny. Top ten, works. just wanted to make it into Sports Center top ten. That's all it was about, <laughs> exactly, man. Make it make it yeah. plays. That's awesome sure. though. Um, it's been cool to see kind of your your angle on the mix between business and sports and really just how it all blends together, which is like outside of my lane. I'm just trying to dive into like specifics of football, but um really happy to have you on this episode and to get this thing rolling. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I I think you gotta give yourself more credit because I do feel like you do a, a great job. One of the reasons and I'll gas you up for a little bit. Hey, let's go, I really like man. I appreciate that. that. <clears throat> the benefit of having somebody here. But one of the reasons <laughs> I like what you do so much is because I, I feel like you take a real human element to football. You know, I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the current media landscape, but yeah. a lot of it just kind of seems like 30 second to 90 second hits where you have to get the hottest takeout. And there's not a lot of consideration for the fact that these are people that we're talking yeah. about. And I really like, obviously you have experience on that front. I like how you just dive into that area and, and really like, you know, I describe my own content as sports business and there are a lot of overlaps with business and, you know, even on contracts or new stadiums getting built. Like there's a lot of money that gets pushed into a whole sports, lot of right? money, but, a whole lot of money, but a lot of money. I think at the base of it, it's like adding some sort of human element to the players that we root for and the, yeah. almost the psychology around why we like sports so much. And for me, as somebody who's never had a single 
athletic achievement to write home about. Those were always just things that really connected with me. It wasn't yeah. you know, the fact that this guy's out here, you know, whipping balls 80 yards on the fly. Like that was never something I could do and therefore never something I could connect with. But, you know, maybe the fact that he was interested Human in side, like definitely yeah, the same video games. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I think like for me, it started, um, I really started being more vocal about it in 2019. I had a season ending injury and took the social media a little more than like I ever thought I would mm -hmm. really was, I was always the guy that was going to say what was expected to be said. And then one day it just kind of changed. It really helped when I started streaming, I started playing Fortnite competitively and opening up and people started asking me questions about like the nitty gritty of like, how does it go? And the way that they were framing questions was like, they had no idea. Like they didn't even know how to ask the questions because it was in such a like blind light. And I just started like word vomiting and spitting game, I guess, yeah. during these live streams. And it made me really comfortable. And then I took it from there and I went to Twitter with it. And even just like I saw something yesterday or maybe it was earlier today. It was from a company that does like sports media or whatever. They just, you know, one of the companies that takes what other people do and just re spits it back out. But they're their own yeah, captions. The, the aggregators. Yes. And yeah. it was about um, Alvin Kamara on a block that he had a couple of weeks ago. Um, it, it seemed as if he had missed a blitz off the slot um, in one of the games that he was playing in. And if you know, like they were they, they basically were like it was talking about Amazon and how they had this new vision and stuff that they can use AI to predict blitzes. And it was like, look, even Alvin Kamara missed it. But like if you watch the scheme, the actual person who missed it was the left tackle. And they just said Alvin Kamara because it looked like it should have been the running backs guy. But the protection, knowing what I know, was opposite. And so you see Alvin Kamara's name being blasted in a viral in a viral post where like he went exactly to where he was supposed to do did his job and Derek Carr still got sacked, but it wasn't his fault. And it's just those things for me is like, then you start going down the narrative, like, Oh, Alvin Kamara doesn't know his job. You know what I mean? Like, and that's how, right. that's how like misinformation gets spread. Um, and even, you know, to your point of like, I guess interviewing people or knowing what to say in the media for like the 30 to 60 second hits. I saw today, um, I think it was Najee Harris was asked about Mitch Trubisky's leadership. Um, and he was like, it's fine, I guess. And then another question was about, it, I don't even know what it was. It was something about him playing. And he said something like, I guess. And it's mm -hmm. just like, why is the media asking what his opinion is of like Trubisky's leadership? Like knowing that there's like a really high chance there that Mitch Trubisky hasn't been in a leadership role at all since, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's. Yeah knowing from the inside of the locker room that's Kenny Pickett's team to be the leader of and the backup quarterback is just a support supports like role basically he's not a leader totally he has leadership opportunities but he's not a, like that's not his thing like you shouldn't really be like asking that question in my opinion and it was just like a softball for the media and Najee wasn't prepared to like yeah his leadership's great he was like it's good I guess like yeah it, it's, it, it's yeah. the perfect example of the catch-22 for me <laughs> as an outsider where it seems like the media will ask these questions that are obviously leading questions, right? Yeah. They're looking for him to have one slip up, like, and I guess to <clears throat> yep. pounce all over. But in those moments when he shows some sort of human element, you know, people always rag on Bill Belichick for giving one word answers. And those are so boring. But on the other side, if you don't give a one word answer, that's so boring, you get <laughs> yep. ripped to shreds and you get, you know, your words picked apart for saying something like, I guess, when it comes to a question, that's probably really hard to answer. So it, it's a total yeah. no one situation. I have to imagine. Yeah. And I like, I put myself in his shoes. Like 
I'm I'm the type of person that like I can't lie for my life, and I like don't I don't like sugarcoating things. I'm just I'm very transparent. And if somebody asked me like, what was this dude like? Is this dude a like what's his leadership like? Like I don't know. He hasn't had to be a leader yet. Like he's been a backup. So we'll find out. Like that's what I would have said. But some people like Najee. That's good, I guess. Like he could have yeah. followed up with we'll find out, you know, but <laughs> do you feel um, like there's a lot of lying that happens on the podium? Like when players get asked what maybe lying is, the, maybe lying is the right way to sometimes play, it's I, definitely I, lying. You're not telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's definitely lying and it's like either white lies or like half truths and like half truths are basically lies anyways. Uh, omitting information is probably somewhat in that category, but I think <clears throat> it seems like as like time is going on in the NFL, players are being more transparent because they realize the amount of power that they have in the media where even five years ago, like our media training that we received as rookies was like, this is what you say. This is what you do. Like you make it about the team. You do this, that, and the other. And you were very much like encouraged to not give your real opinions on things. It was keep it to yourself. But now that like all the money's being made from media and like views make money and like, now players are building their own brands, which like five years ago, six years ago when I was a rookie, it was not a thing. Like hmm. guys weren't streaming, guys weren't like guys had the big brand deals, but they weren't building like their own, like, I guess, own entrepreneurial businesses while they're in the NFL. And now it's like it's encouraged and there's support for it. But it's the last five years in the NFL have changed a lot. And also media has changed, opportunities have changed, and, and I still think the NFL is behind. Like they need to get a little more with it, like the NBA is, but in general, it's at least trending in the right direction. I mean, when you look at the NBA versus the NFL, what, what do you think? Could, you know, what could the NFL do better? Because from, I think the easy thing to say is the NFL. You know, MLB is another league that gets ragged on all the time, yeah. right? Like they could do better for their players. But when you think about it, and you know, I come from a marketing background, these are impossibly hard jobs and impossibly <laughs> rigid brands to move. And they also they do they do a lot of content, right? Like objectively speaking, they do a pretty good job. But I, I am curious from your perspective, what yeah. could be done better in a league like the NFL? And you can you compare it to the NBA and I'm curious as to why. Yeah. I think um the NBA, what it leans in on is like guys' faces and their likenesses and like their full human element of who they are. <clears throat> and the NFL, I think, sticks to who are the guys on Sunday. Um, and there are some teams that do this better than others, but like I think the NFL as a whole, if you look at how money is made in media, how money is made in the NFL, the NFL right now is shooting itself in the foot with guys like Tyreek Hill getting fined every week and then going on and talking about it every week. Where in reality, let Tyreek Hill make you the viral moments that you can sell ad dollars on those shorts and those clips and whatever, and you'll make way more money from those videos than you would ever from the fine that you're spending or getting from him. And then at the end of the day, you're just pissing him off because it's stupid. And right. I, he was on RG3's uh, podcast. I think I saw the clip today. I was traveling today, so I got to see a lot of stuff on social media. <laughs> and it was just like they were going to kick him out of the game if he didn't put longer socks on. And it's like you're really going to kick the best, if not one of the best players, out of the game for not putting on socks? Like, I get that you have rules or whatever, but it's just – it's the, quote, power to the players. It's very much this, like, from the top down – more of a dictatorship than anything of what can go and what can't where the NBA, it, at least from my perspective, it really encourages guys being themselves and being who they are and like making the most of moments and like celebrating and all that other stuff. Like the NBA loves the swag of it. Like they feed on that. 
But again, you have five guys on a court at a time per team, and you're seeing their faces, you're seeing their emotions, you're hearing them talk to each other, where the NFL kind of still, in my opinion, wants people to hide behind the helmet and under the shield, under the uniform, and still be like less individualistic. But for the NFL in the future, 10, 20 years from now, we know where it's going to go. So just like let it go there. You don't have to like hold it back so hard, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's probably just so much fear about losing control over what that means. I mean, yeah. I, I think if you were to take the cynical view, you'd be like, okay, first it's Tyreek Hill doing a backflip, and then you know, then what? You know, like something yeah. that goes completely off the rails. But you, you should never underestimate the NFL's ability <laughs> to take something fun and either ruin it or make money off of it while still yeah. ruining it for people. My favorite example is the my cause my cleats. That was a penalty to wear anything other than a. Uh, you know, primary color cleat up until the point where they realized they could make a little bit of money on it. So yeah. I always say never to underestimate the NFL in that capacity. No doubt, dude. <clears throat> and I just, you know, that's part of it. Like for me as a player and like, I, I grew up as a fan of the NFL prior to ever thinking I had a chance. Like I always thought I was good at football, but like by the time I was a junior, I was like, oh, I'm going to go play in college, like a junior high school. And then by the time I was like a sophomore or junior in college, I was like, dang, like I might be able to make it to the NFL if like things fall in line and I get chances. But I was never like this guy that was just going to make it. And for me, it still allowed me to view the NFL from a fan perspective because I was a super fan. Like I played Madden all the time. I was a huge Dolphins fan, even though we sucked when I was growing up. And it's just like to be able to be in it and see it for a little bit more of what it was. Like at this point in time, I'm very happy to be on the other side because I get to not be so bitter about some of the stupid things that now they don't, mm. they don't affect me anymore. Like I don't have to worry about some like the PR team coming to me and saying something about a tweet that I said that like any old person could say. And it's just, and every team's different. Some teams had a higher tolerance than others. And, um, but like for me, I knew by the time like 2020 hit that like my future was going to be in media. And so I started building that while I was playing where other guys build other things while they're playing, build their real estate portfolios, build connections and like take internships or whatever. But mine always had a little bit of a negative connotation to it or stigma because mine was around gaming first and media where like some of the coaches are very old school and they're like, ah, F Twitter, like this, that's not real life, whatever. Like the opportunity is real. Like that's real life. And those are real jobs and remote work is real. So like, why is Twitter, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. still a lot of the old school in the NFL um, from top down and it's getting better, but that's, that's my soapbox on, where things are right now well i do appreciate it and yeah i think one experience that you can speak very directly to something that also uh touches me in the heart so i'm, I'm from green bay wisconsin initially so i grew up a, a diehard packer love that i could see lambeau field from my house um I, what I was the street not. so um so i didn't actually live in green bay i sort of lived like 10 minutes outside of or out you know past lambeau but yeah, yeah, on a yeah. little uh raised hill so like if you uh stood in the right corner of the house you could you could overlook it there's actually a funny tweet this weekend from sunday night football of travis kelsey yeah, yeah, you know, yeah pointing down to lambeau and everybody was you know joking on it about like they don't know the topography of, of green bay but if there was a hill in green bay i lived on that hill and I that's awesome fields. so um it was awesome but yeah uh, i think one of the uh one of the critiques of the green bay packers for everything they do right is in their marketing in their social specifically I would pretend that or portend that it's probably in the bottom quartile of the league, you know, maybe last very much, heading into this it, year. It very much was heading into this year, dude. And yeah, when I was, before I got released, I actually had meetings with the social media team, like hmm. 
to see like what the deal was because I was crushing on social media and yeah, everyone always talk, like wanted to talk to me about like social media and like the brand deals and this and that. And, like you're a third string quarterback. Like how are you doing? I'm like, I just have been speaking my mind and like being transparent and people like that. And you as an organization do the same copy paste tweets all the time and the same videos all the time, the same activations. And like people wanted a little bit more of an insight into like, what does it look like to actually be a Packer? And I gave that. Um, but yeah, man, it's the, the Packers social media. I'm so glad it's like starting to get better. Um, but it's, I just don't even know like what its ceiling can be with the, this is the way we do it here. And this is the right. history of and how we always do it, but they are getting better. Yeah. Is there like a, a purpose that social serves that's different for a fan as compared to a player, you know, from a fan perspective, it's kind of like, okay, as long as you check these boxes, it's good yeah. enough. As long as I know the score, I know signings, I know that kind of stuff is it, good enough. But then as, as a I'm like, fan of football, if you want you, that you... go to a blog or like, right. check, like, yeah, like check, check the news, like check, like you'll see that on a ticker somewhere, right? Like where I'm, yeah. where I'm like social media, the way that I've always viewed social media. And I think this is why I've been fortunate to like find success in it. It's like each platform for me is different. And my voice on each platform is different and how I use it is different. Like, like Instagram for me is very much like I have my reels and stuff now that they're, that's a thing, but it was more, um, at a, at a distance. Like you could see what this stuff looks like from the outside looking in, um, where Twitter was like always my voice. And like this, it was more raw and it was more like, this is like, as if you're 10 feet away from me or five feet away from me, like, this is what the experience that I'm experiencing looks like and feels like to me. And then TikTok was more of like, uh, I'm going to like talk to you and break things down as it is. And so I used each platform different where I think the Packers the longest time and somewhat to an extent, Hey, make sure you cross post the same exact thing on all platforms. <laughs> so it doesn't miss anybody. And it's yeah. like, like you need like quick trip, for example, the gas station. Like I had a deal with quick trip when I was with the Packers to make content on TikTok, and they came to me because I was reaching the audience that they wanted to reach, but they also had to deal with the Packers themselves and the Packers weren't able to deliver like the content pieces they did were not. And it just like, they just weren't good. And then the ones that I was doing, I was like going prior to pregame into quick trip, grabbing a drink, like more POV, like what does game day look like for me? Pulling up the Lambo, opening up the door after the fingerprint, like doing all of that stuff. And that's really what people want to see. Like what, how close can I get to being a Packer? And what does that feel like? That's like around the league too. And other teams embrace that entirely. And yeah, I still, I still yeah, love I, the Packers though. I mean, of course, yeah. always going to love the Packers. I'm glad you brought up Twitter specifically. You, you had a tweet earlier this week where it was a picture of you quote tweeted a picture of you, Aaron Rodgers, Jordan yeah. Love. It looked like I can't see your face, but it looked like you were cracking the other two guys up. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Probably. now you were probably in one of these conversations that would ultimately lead to your demise mm -hmm. in Green Bay. Can you give yeah. us any insight into what you might have said in, in that specific conversation? Uh, well, that specific one, I mean, that was training camp, so that could have been anything. I don't think there was anything. There was probably nothing like that would have actually gotten me in trouble or anything. In that one, it was probably joking on somebody or clowning on somebody that was 20 feet away. Um, but... I would say the the biggest theme is like when we started losing, well, we lost games. We we lost the game that I was there in 2021 against the 49ers and came back in the spring and the coaches that I was really close with that like loved my personality, loved my humor, 
loved like the inside jokes, the memes, like all the stuff that I did to like keep the room alive in a really long year, they were all gone. And then they were all replaced in the room with people that were very old school and like black and white and like, you know, like just more boring, I guess. And the stuff that I like, I, that's just my, like, I'm so, I love being creative. I love having creative outlets like Aaron and Jordan both appreciated like me being there. Aaron definitely loved like the presence that I brought and like the light that I brought in the room to just spice it up a little bit. Um, but the guys that were there in the spring for when I got cut, I mean, it was just, it was a long spring because it was, you know, this is three jet protection and we're going to have our left tackle do this left guard, do this center. You're like, and it's just like, we were, we all have been in the NFL long enough to know all that stuff. And I think that like really good teams have a good balance between, you know, having fun and also knowing your shit. And also being able to flip the switch on and off. And I don't, I think that what they lost last year, which it seems like from the outside looking in this year, they're having more fun right now, which is really damn cool to see. But it it seemed like they lost a little bit of that fun. And from guys that I talked to um, that are no longer there, or even some that were there, like it seemed like last year was just complete misery. Like all the fun was lost. And the thing is, if you're living in Green Bay and you're playing football and you're not having fun, it's a really tough place to play and not have fun just because of life there. Like as an NFL athlete, you know, the other areas that you could be living, all the other cities, the weather, like if you're not winning in green Bay in December and January, that shit gets tough quick. And that's what happened last year from all accounts that I was able to collect. So how does a team get that fun back? You mentioned how it seems like it's back in the building. Is it a matter of turnover of some of those people that might've hindered the fun the year before, or is it, is winning a cure all like what what is yeah. uh what goes back into getting that fun back? Um I would say winning is it can be a it can be a cure all, but I think it's winning's more of a band-aid. Um, because there are teams that win and don't have fun. If you look at the Patriots and guys that have been in and out of that locker room that have gone to other places, every former Patriot that I've been teammates with is thankful that they weren't there anymore, even though they were winning games. Um I just I think there has to be a a willingness to accept that you know your job and you know what you're doing and that you're prepared. And also that like realizing that over preparedness can really hinder a lot of what makes football special. And that's something that I learned from Aaron is like, dude, once you like have your stuff done and you're locked in and you have that little bit of extra too, on top of that, you, that you feel like gives you the edge of this, the opponent. Like there is a thing as there is such a thing that when you, do too much and watch too much film and just all the way up to kickoff. Like don't give yourself a chance to like back off. You will play worse. And I found that out my second year. Um, Yeah. Second year heading into my third year. Like, dude, I was such a watch every last clip of everything and just like all football all the time. And I became a better quarterback once I cut loose a little bit because at the end of the day, it is still a game. And I think, being on a young team and not having veterans around that you get to watch, like dude knows everything in the meeting room. And then as soon as the meeting rooms close, he's cracking jokes like, Holy shit. Where like you have younger guys that as soon as they leave the meeting room, they're like walking in the halls with their iPads, like studying every last thing before the next meeting. And it's like, everyone has a different process to get prepared. Um, but that one for sure, you have to have a way to have fun with it because at the end of the day, 
this like time span that you get to spend in the NFL is very fleeting. And most of the time it's gone before you know it. And if you are miserable while you're doing it, you would have wished that you went back and did it a little bit differently most of the time. Yeah. You, you brought up Bill Belichick and it's interesting as we talk about this, not having fun thing. And, and I would have thought that winning would be a cure-all. And if you're winning in New England, you're winning all the Super Bowls that uh, it's hard not to have fun, but especially now that they're, two and 10 or whatever the record is. Yeah. They haven't won many games. And also it's not fun. Like when does that start oh, to spiral? It? That's like, <clears throat> I've been there in Atlanta, dude. Like we had our coach fired and like it really wasn't his fault, but he was the guy who took the fall for it. And by the time, like, you know, the season's over, dudes are just cashing checks and waiting for off season. And that's like, as a guy that like, didn't get to play that shit, like ate me up. Cause I'm like, dude, I would do anything to get on the field. And you have guys that are in front of you or like on the team in general that are just like check hits the same day every week on Wednesday. Like it's like, let's just roll like one more week, three more, like hearing guys that are playing speak like that in a locker room that's been lost is like, bro, like, like it's really frustrating. And that for me took a little bit of like the game. Like it's hard to love showing up every single day and busting your ass and doing all the extra work. And like the stuff that's required to be a third guy, on a, on a depth chart or even an undrafted guy, like the meal and practice squad for almost five years, I was always practice squad, except for a few times I was on the active, like you're always looking to be replaced. So you can never let up and you'll still get cut even when you don't let up. Like it just, it's sometimes it's just a numbers game. And that's the tough part about the NFL. It's like, there's so many human dynamics to it, but again, like regardless highest paid athletes in the world, if there's no incentive, it's really easy to just like clock out. Totally. Is that, you mentioned like the coach in Atlanta takes the fall for that. Is it different in every situation? Like it's hard to, for me to imagine that Bill Belichick would be out at new England, but is the coach the easiest person to lay the blame on? Like where, you know, who, who's in the pecking yeah. order of uh, is your fault versus somebody else's? Um, <clears throat> I think that it definitely depends situation on situation, but like, if you look at New England, from my perspective, Belichick is the head coach and the GM. And right now, what's their biggest deficiency is offensive skill makers, like offensive playmakers, I mean, skill players. And their defense is balling. Like their defense held the charges to six points last week, but you got to be able to score points and you have to have coaches around on offense that can be creative. And you need to get players in the building that like need to, you need to be able to win right now. Like I don't think, I don't think any team in the NFL is or any coach is too above like needing to be competitive that year in some, in some aspect, like you can, you can be rebuilding, but you have to at least be competitive. And like, they're not even showing any sign of life on offense. And then you look around the league at some of these other young coordinators, like Mike McDaniel, um, you got some older guys too, that are just like willing to change. Um, they're making a lot happen with probably equal or less talent on paper. Like, from what Bill Belichick's brought in the door. And I think they're doing it so early in their tenure in their new places that it's like, okay, New England could get a new offensive coordinator from one of those trees that's willing to be creative and work within a little bit more of a college, a college guy's skill set and be competitive right away with a really good defense. And like, I just, it, it does come down to the, to the coaches and the GMs and every situation is different though. Yeah. Okay. Kurt, I'm done talking about the depressing teams of the NFL. There's a oh, lot of good. good football that's being played. Uh, you lot. mentioned on, on Twitter this week, there's some 
you do not do the power rankings every single week. Yeah. It looked like it caused quite a stir. <laughs> uh, to run it down for people who didn't see it, Dak at number one, CJ Stroud at number two, Brock Purdy at number three, who's quickly becoming, I think, one of the most polarizing quarterbacks in the league. What, what do you people make of you know, what he, they do? I mean, why why do people hate it? Why do you have him at number three above guys like Tua Lamar, Mahomes, Jalen Hurts? Like Those are really good guys yeah. that you have behind him. Yeah, so <clears throat> I look at it, so when I go through my rankings, I go through a few different, like, I actually go through it a few different times and I put it on like a different hat. So I'm like, okay, stats wise, where are they? Go through it, whatever. Then I go through, okay, situations, who's on their team? Go through it, reorder people a little bit. Then I'm like, what are they being asked to do in their scheme? Because some of these guys are making gold out of shit. And some of these guys are just like being handed everything on a silver platter, right? So I look at Brock Purdy and I'm like, okay, if you look at the 49ers, have the 49ers ever looked this way? Like, have they ever been this dominant? What is the one thing that's changed? As soon as Brock Purdy took over from Jimmy Garoppolo, everything took off and they were the most dominant team in the NFL. And they have not really been since, besides the few weeks that Trent Williams and Debo Samuel were out. And I'm like, do you think there's a reason why his teammates are so at bat for him about how he plays and what he brings to the table? Because they know what it looked like before him. Shit, I knew what it looked like before him. I was in the rooms and like Jimmy is a great guy, but Jimmy was managing that offense. And that just was what it was. Their ceiling was where it was. Brock comes in and he is elevating them so high. And I saw a tweet today from a beat writer and it was like, Dak Prescott elevates everyone around him where everyone around Brock Purdy elevates Brock Purdy. And I'm like, bro, are you stupid? Like, Look at look at, literally look at the change in their offense since Brock took over when Jimmy was there. And the only thing that changed was Brock taking over and they have not looked back since. And how many other guys have you seen go into situations where like on paper, this team should be awesome and they just don't do it. Like Brock's doing it, elevating. He's going into hostile territory. And again, does it help the argument when like Debo Samuel cribs a, a screen or like McCaffrey busts off a long run? No. But then you look at the off schedule plays that Brock makes and he is doing things that not other guys in the league are doing. And he's he's doing everything he's been asked to do and more. And that's how I really like the judge guys. And then I try to give some other guys slack on like their shitty situations, um, which is, it's tough sometimes. But like Mahomes is not in the best situation right now. And he is one of the most talented guys, but like he's lower in my rankings because he's just not playing to the best of his ability. And he'd probably tell you if he got on the podium and started talking about film review and stuff that, He's missing open guys underneath because he's pressing, trying to make plays downfield because they're not getting plays downfield. And I've seen him miss um, Kelsey on a lot of like underneath reads that in years past, he would have taken them for five, seven yards a pop. And now he's like trying to hold on a little bit longer to get the big play because they don't have Tyreek or anybody like that that's going to go and open things up. So I try to take everything into account. I try to leave as much bias at the door as I can. Um, it's tough sometimes, but that's that's kind of how I go through. Yeah, I saw a stat heading into this last week that Brock Purdy had the highest um, yards per attempt and also the highest completion percentage heading into the league. So I, I do see a lot of this critique as well that, okay, this couple weeks where Trent Williams and Debo Samuel were out, they struggled a little bit, which might mm -hmm. indicate that Brock can't carry them. But at the same time, it seems like you look at the stats and it seems like he's, he's doing quite a bit. Maybe he's in that situation like you described where a lot of things are being teed up for him, but it also seems like he's able to work off schedule, like you said. Yeah, and like, dude... People think that like Shanahan is this untouchable like god of a play caller, and he's a really good play caller. He's really creative. He does get people open, 
but like it's still the NFL. Like there are still defensive coordinators out there. They're, like there are still another team with really talented players. Like it's not like it's if you look at some of these other like offensive like skill players, like uh, the position groups, some of them on paper are maybe more explosive than the 49ers are. Like I wouldn't look at the the 49ers offense and say they're the most explosive in the league. They're the most consistently good. Like they don't have a Tyreek. They don't have, you know what I mean? Like they don't have those guys. So like the 49ers have to be like, they have to get four yards at least on first. They have to get three on second. Like, you know, they have to stay with the chains and then they get their pop plays here and there. But it's not like they're, like if they get behind the chains, they struggle. So like they're not untouchable and they're just all playing really well as a unit. I'm assuming your quarterback rankings often overlap with who you think might be the MVP favorite any mm-hmm. given week. Are you in this camp of it has to be a quarterback? It, it seems like increasingly the number one seed in the AFC or NFC, their quarterback is going to be the yeah. MVP favorite. Or do you think it could be a Tyree Kale or a Christian McCaffrey? You know, yeah. How do you think about that? And of any of these QBs on the list, who who's your favorite to win MVP this year? Um, that's a good question. So <clears throat> the way that I think of it is if there's any – if there's any year that a non QB could win it, it would be this year because you don't have like your staple guys that are just going to be given it every year. Um, you know, if they play above average, like if Mahomes played in top 10, top five, like in stats, like probably if Mahomes was top five in stats, he probably would be favorite. Right. Um, but this year I'm like, dude, who, who is the most valuable player on the team that if that person was taken away, their team would really be screwed. And I think Tyreek Hill is one. Like he's not the number one guy, but he's one of the guys. Dak Prescott is balling right now. Like I don't think anybody's playing better football than he is uh, at quarterback, and it's he looks so comfortable. And I've never seen Dak look how he does. And people can say, oh, regular season stats, whatever. He looks different, and he's comfortable. He's owning the offense, and it's it's literally his offense now. Um, and then Brock Purdy, only because of what he's doing to elevate that offense. I don't think that he will win MVP. He might, but um, I also think that CJ Stroud, CJ Stroud is probably the number one player besides Tyreek Hill, that if he took out of their situation, that team would be screwed. And that's how I like to look at MVP, like the legitimate, literal, most valuable player on like on a team in the NFL. Um, the Texans would not be a playoff team without him. And the Cowboys probably would be a playoff team. They'd be a wild, like a lower wild card team without Dak, but that's kind of how I like to look at it. Like he would be completely screwed. Like I don't know if the Dolphins, the Dolphins would be a lower wild card team probably without Tyreek. He's leading, like he has more receiving yards in like seven full receiver rooms this year or something like that. Yeah. How much weight do you put into you know the coaching situation? You mentioned sort of the, it's the play huge. calling. It. Yeah, I, I saw a tweet from you earlier this week where you you were giving props to Matt Lafleur on how. Mm-hmm. He's sort of been able to scheme a lot of success, it seems like, for for Jordan Love. So are you taking that into consideration? Any coach of the year favorites that maybe aren't getting talked about enough that you want to bring up? Yeah, no, the the thing about LaFleur, man, is I was I'm like very happy to see how this season has changed from his perspective and how he's calling plays and like how aggressive he's being and whether he has to be because they're like on the fringe of playoffs that sometimes changes it early in the year. You feel like you can be a little more conservative and give guys time to like develop. But like when shit hits the fan and it's time to go, I'm glad that he was not just sticking to what he was doing. And he's been willing to be more aggressive on third and short on fourth downs, like in the red zone, not just settling for field goals. And 
that also gives Jordan Love more confidence that like he's going to keep coming back to me and giving me chances to make plays. And I think if I could pinpoint anything that LaFleur has done to change um, this season, it's been his willingness to pass the ball in first and second down. And I don't have like the statistics in front of me to like show that, but I remember watching the last three weeks and I'm like, wow, like second down pass. Good. Like first down pass. Good. Wow. Like getting Jordan into a rhythm early because there's nothing worse than playing quarterback. And then your first pass in three plays is on third down and seven. And now your entire drive relies on making a throw or a play on that third and seven. And then if not, you're not going to throw the ball again for probably another like 10 real life minutes. So that's like the human aspect of like, Oh, like they, maybe they got a three and out, whatever. Like the human aspect of it is as a quarterback, if you're not throwing the ball in 10 to 20 minutes, it's going to be like, I just want to get a completion real quick. Let me just feel the ball come out of my hand. Um, and I think that he is giving Jordan so many opportunities early in drives before it gets super critical to make throws that allows him to really excel when like a critical pass is needed. Um, so he's definitely, in my opinion, like def- he should be in coach of the year consideration. And I like to look at coach of the year of what are like the odds stacked against you of the season? Like, what does it look like? What's the situation? And I think between him and D'Amico Ryan, is it Ryan's or Ryan's? Ryan. Sounds right. Yeah, sounds right. D'Amico down mm-hmm. there in Houston, I think <laughs> what he has done, dude, he has surpassed every expectation that could have been possible of a team that had the number two number two overall pick that year. So I think it's between those two. I know there's probably a few others that I'm missing, but those two are the ones that jump out to me. D'Amico Ryan's with an S for Ryan's. those of you at home keeping track. Hey, I want to ask you one more thing, Kurt. The, this idea of the doghouse. Uh, that happens in the NFL. No more evident this year than with the Atlanta Falcons and oh. Arthur Smith's befuddling use of really talented skill position uh, players like Kyle Pitts or specifically Arthur Dijon Smith Robinson. pisses me off, man. Like, okay, go then he, go go on. He I, I pisses me off. He, I just um, I have never even met him. I never even got a chance to talk to him. I was still in the roster when he got the job, and he never. I got cut like maybe a month after. I think it was a month after they got the job. I got my first call from Terry Fontenot um, a month after. I was like, oh, dude, like great to meet you. Like excited to get back to camp. Like, and he's like, ah, it's not that kind of call. We're actually going to cut you and we're going to bring in one of our guys. It's like, oh, shit. All right, let's see what's next. And then I went to Green Bay. So it was great. Um, but I think there, there's just this like, I don't know what it is about him, but I think Arthur, at least from the outside looking in, seems to have an arrogance to him that like, he knows best. And you can't tell me, and we want to talk about human aspect of this. You can't tell me that Terry Fontenot cannot be drafting like he has been and getting all these studs and being excited as shit on Sunday to see them not being used. I don't care. I don't care what type of relationship you have with Arthur Smith. I don't care how good of boys you might be. If that was me, that would piss me off. Like, there's no reason why Corderell Patterson should be taking as many carries away from. Bijan now that he is. And then on top of that, that Algier had taken so many earlier in the year. And then same with Pitts. Like I just, there is this same thing with like their roster. If you were to completely blow up their coaching scheme and like their offensive, how it's being called, if you got a Mike McDaniel in there with those guys, what would it look like? Like calling plays on offense. We're with this old school, like ground and pound, whatever. Like, what is your ceiling? Do you want to be the Titans that goes like second round of playoffs and is out every year? Like that, cause that's your ceiling. If you're, if that's how you're going to play football games. 
you have to play perfect defense. You have to control the ball. You can't turn it over and you need to hit four or five explosive plays in the pass game that like you hope you scheme up right because you're not really giving your players the best chance. And I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it. I, I did talk to a former teammate about this um, that used to play there and he plays somewhere else now. And his big like takeaway on this was that Arthur was a offensive lineman. That's his whole background. And so everything play calling wise is from that perspective and he's in charge of the pass game. And so the way that they protect in the pass game and the way that they have answers to problems, there's like real philosophies in the NFL of like, let's just say, Hey, this team wants to zero blitz us. They're bringing more than we can block. What is our answer going to be? There's a a lane of coaches that would say, well, F it, we're going to get five receivers out. We're going to throw one-on-ones and we're going to like try to make it, try to break a tackle and get a big play. And then there's other coaches that are like, all right, they're going to bring seven. We're going to keep six to seven in and we're going to block it up and we're going to try to throw a bomb. Like maybe get a PI. Like there's different philosophies to get to the same outcome on what is your answer versus a, a look. And his is one that I think is like very fleeting and there's not many guys doing it his way um, left in the NFL. What do you think Arthur Smith's prospects are the rest of the year? I, I heard it said that everybody, every coach in the NFC South is coaching for their job. It seems like the one team from that division that makes the playoffs will probably keep their coach because they can sell themselves on next season and everybody else is going to clean house. Yeah. You know, do you think if Arthur Smith doesn't make the playoffs, he sticks around for next year? Dude, I'm like, I'm probably very biased and harsh on this, but like I've seen enough that I don't give a shit if they make the playoffs. Like I know what the Atlanta Falcons ceiling is with him calling the plays and not being willing to change and not utilizing his studs that he has in the way that I believe that they should. And it's just, it doesn't take much just to look around the league. Look at teams do it all the time. They steal plays from one another. It's not hard to be watching film and being like, shit, they make that look so easy. Maybe we should have that in our, in our playbook. Maybe we should do a little more of that. And like, unless he's like promising that that's going to show up next year on film from them, I would be trying to get a guy that's under one of the Miami dolphin trees, the 49ers trees, one of Texans now, I would be looking at you, Bobby Slowick, to come into Atlanta and use our weapons and recreate that offense that you have in Houston and Atlanta as the head coach. Like that's that's what I would be doing if I was the Falcons. Because again, it's like, do you want to play for like NFC South championships or do you want to play for like the Super Bowl? And you can win a lot of AFC South championships and be first round exits if you want. But um, I'm all about like in anything in business, like this is my, my whole, like how I look at life in general, can you scale it? Like what's the highest it can go. And if it's something that's like not scalable, I don't really want to do it. And if it's something that like it's ceiling, isn't that high, I don't really want to do it. Like, and that's, that's how I look at the Falcons. Like what their ceiling is what it is, but the roster is not the roster sick. Okay. So I, I need to ask you, Kurt, you're, you've been absolutely killing it on the DFS side of, side of things on sleeper. <laughs> what is your, process is there like some psychological component to this or are you just looking straight at the stats i just curious to get an insight into how you're making these uh more often than not winning picks. yeah um i will say so i definitely have a process um and i'm still fine-tuning it like i definitely think i'm going to be even better by next year um the the biggest thing that i look at is what are things that are likely to happen so i don't like shooting for the moon and trying to have like hail marys or like is this guy going to score a touchdown randomly this week when he hasn't been scoring all year? Like, I don't do that stuff. Um, but for me, I'm all about stacking likely outcomes, like probable things to happen. 
And every week I go through and I, I watch every single game of every week. So I have a really good way to reference behind and know how did that game play out last week? Um, like last week we had the Titans and the Colts and they went to overtime. And so they had a few more extra receptions, a few more extra this and that. And like, so I know that without even having to research it because I'm, I've been watching film and games for years. So like, it's just, I have a good memory with that stuff. So I take what I know about these teams and I go through and I find matchups that I like. So like right now, if I were to go look at my phone, um, let's go to the NFL. So I start looking at teams like we have New England and Pittsburgh. I also have a philosophy that I don't like touching bad teams or bad games. So like, unless something is just so favorable and it's like this game, I went and I looked and I see a few things that I like, but I don't love. And I have different categories of how I put these. So like if I'm, if I'm putting say $500 on an entry, I am going to only pick things that are like really likely to happen. And I'm not going to really go any higher than four players on that entry, maybe five, if it's like a really low multiplier, but when I'm going to build these, I really like looking on volume plays. So I like receptions. I like um, completions and I like field goal made sometimes it was better in college because they give you half a field goal NFL, they do 1.5, but I like kick points. So I go through and I write my mental script is what I call it for. How do I think this game is going to play out? Like, okay. So I think Pittsburgh is going to win this game. I think it's probably going to be like 17 to 10, some ugly game. And so like what stats wise has to make sense for that outcome to happen. So I always start with game first and then what can happen to make that outcome come to life. And then I just start seeing which lines go in with my narratives that I create in my head. And if it's a game that like is a primetime game, like last week we had the Chiefs and the Packers, I'll create two different storylines. If the Chiefs win, in my mind, what do, like what has to happen and which players have to step up? If the Packers win, what has to happen? What players have to step up? And so I go through and I make my entries that way. Um, and I'm starting to learn, like I've hit a few eight legs, which is just nuts. I've hit a few sixes, like some fives. But like I'm really finding that the sweet spot for me is like two to four. And again, like they're lower multipliers, but I'm hitting right now 69% of my legs on anything that I put together. Um, over the course of the year in the last week, I've hit 78%. So it's like, it's been a good like start to December. I'm not going to lie. For sure. Um, and so with that, I'm like, okay, if I'm hitting like above 70, if I throw a bunch of, say I pick 20 people that I love that week and I mix and match equally and I don't go too heavy on any players, which I've done and like I make mistakes. But if I'm, if I know I'm hitting 70% and I'm mixing and matching 20 players if I just distribute that evenly with how the multipliers are, I'm going to consistently make money. And so that's how I play. And I know like, dude, I got friends that send me like the, the $10, make 90 grand. And I'm like, that's fun, bro. But like I get so hyped knowing I'm right. And I get, I get a, it feels good when I turn $10 into 90, like that feels really good. And right now I started the season. Well, I started the season earlier, like a hundred dollars a pop, whatever. And now I'm like, I've been able to scale up with profits to, anywhere from 250 to $500 per entry. And I'm not going to start advertising it just yet, but I've started taking that same philosophy on volume plays to other sports and it's working. And so like, if you look at NHL, they have like shots on goal and blocks. Like those are volume plays. And I, I love, I'm not trying to pick people that score point, score goals. Like that's fine. You guys can have that, but like, give me the assists in basketball. Give me the rebounds. Like, give me the points plus assists. Like, so that way, if someone has a high assist game, like point guards, they touch they touch the ball a lot, whether they're scoring or assisting. So 
I like things that are likely to happen, high volume plays. And if I miss on a good bet, okay, that's fine. Like I, I'm not going to be a hundred percent. So as long as I'm not putting the same player on every single entry, like I did Gus Edwards a couple weeks ago, <laughs> then I'm solid, but that's kind of how I approach it. And it's like very, like people can replicate that. It's not a, it's not a hard thing to do, but I think it does take discipline, um, which I've found to have more discipline knowing that I have thousands of people ready to judge how my predictions go. So I'm like, all right, let me like really take this serious. Love it. Yeah, man. So I'm, I'm super glad that we got this chance to like switch seats a little bit. I know I, we talked a little bit about your stuff and you like really drove the conversation. And for me, it's, I don't really get a chance to be in this like passenger seat of like just spitballing and spewing out, but it was a lot of fun and something I definitely want to do more. And as you grow and stuff too, like I definitely want to flip the script and you're doing a lot of stuff that I don't even really know about. Like, I don't know about the insides of the the business side of some of these things that you're talking about because it's not my lane. I'm very analytical and stats and that stuff, but it's been fun to see it pop up in my feed. So to have you be able to come through on this show has been pretty cool. Thanks, Jared. I look forward to doing it again, man. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Sweet. Until next time. There you have it, man. That was a lot of fun. Really, really cool conversation. I don't really get a chance to like open up or get prompted in these ways like that. Um, it was really cool to be a little bit vulnerable, dive into some topics that I have strong opinions about. If you guys know me, obviously, I have strong opinions. I'm not really afraid to share anything. I'm very transparent and honest. And anything that I would say when someone's not in a room, I'd say straight to their face. So it was cool to have Tyler pull that out of me in this episode. And if you guys enjoyed it, definitely leave a five-star review. Leave some comments on Twitter. I know that this episode, we didn't get to go into what's happening on the Sunday slate, DFS and all that stuff, but do not worry. Sunday, Saturday, I will be posting it all on social media, on Pocket Presence's account, on my account, and we will have a lot of action for the Sunday slate for you guys. But this episode was fun. I hope to do more like this in the future. Can have some other guests. It'll be fun. Until next time, guys, I'm your host, Kurt Benkert. I'm out. Thanks for listening or watching. 